0: Hey, welcome to Beyond the Scenes. This is the podcast that goes above and beyond the topics that you see every night on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah on Comedy Central. Now, this week marks the one-year anniversary. I don't even like the word anniversary because I don't want to keep remembering this thing. But the January 6th uprising that went down at the Capitol, the insurrection, a bunch of Trump supporters went there and lost their damn minds and violently tried to stop the certification of electoral votes by storming the Capitol, even to say it aloud, it's surreal. So we have two people with us on the program today to help us break this down. The first gentleman, is uh, he's an Emmy nominated Daily Show contributor and uh, he was there at the Capitol and he's always there all the time, mixing it up with the Trump supporters. And if it's anyone that is not a fan of his activities, It is his wife and child, he is Jordan Klepper.
1: Yes, I was there with my Emmy nomination where I should be. (laughs) Thank you, Roy. Mm -hmm. Uh
0: Well, Jordan, our next guest is an Emmy winner. (laughs)
2: Okay. All right. All right. That's
3: why you put it in there? That's why you put it in there? I was about to hop in when you said Emmy nominated and be like, wait a second. But then I was like, oh, that's Jordan. Oh, that's Jordan.
1: Okay, go ahead. Go
0: ahead. (laughs) He is the host of MSNBC's All In with Chris Hayes, and the podcast is Why Is This Happening? Emmy winner, winner, Chris Hayes. How you doing? I'm
3: good. I just am conjuring a very funny notion in my head of like, Jordan in the midst of the insurrection and people like starting to get a little like chesty with him being like, I'm, I'm Emmy nominated. I just, I want you to know, maybe you should back off a little bit because I've got an Emmy nomination.
0: Chris, I'd like to start with you because you get to exist in a place that you don't have the burden of having to find a punchline in between of information to mm-hmm. your viewers.
3: The revisionist. I just I just vomit straight. (laughs) You just straight vomit. (laughs) Unleavened by punchlines. Yeah, that's what we're going for. Yeah.
0: The revisionist history that has happened around why the insurrection happened, whether or not we can vilify the insurrectionists, because like we're still at a point right now where they're still identifying people from the footage. Some have gone to jail, some have been convicted, but they're still Stitching some of this stuff yep. together, I want to. I want to play a clip real quick of just Republicans flip-flopping their positions. Let's just start with our elected officials and their opinions of the uprising.
3: The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. We have were
0: so successful under President Trump. The last thing we want to do is be fighting among ourselves.
2: Trump
1: ah. and I, have, we've had a hell of a journey. All I can say is uh, count me out, enough is enough. It's impossible for this party to move forward without President
2: Trump being its leader. So you think it was an impeachable offense? Oh, sure. How do you grade Trump as president? Oh, listen, overall, I give the president an A. When you Ah. lost Lindsey Graham, when you lose all these people, when Tom Cotton says it's time for you to concede,
3: uh, I think that you've gone over the top. He couldn't even use his own Twitter account because he's been justifiably suspended for the last uh, 24 hours. And there was nothing about that speech that was insightful and the president also used the term peacefully go down there. He didn't just say go down there and take the Capitol over.
0: Chris. Yeah. When I mean, you hear all of that flip-flopping and you see it every day on a regular basis as you prep for your Emmy winning program, Chris, are we crazy? Just, just, just. Are we crazy for just trying to make sure people
3: understand just how heinous this was? Are we? Are we that? No. Are, I, it's been. It's been a huge focus of the show for the past year, precisely because of, of the revisionist history. I mean, I think there's. To me, there's there's a few layers to it, right? One is that, like, particularly in the context of the American criminal justice system, the way in which policing operates, particularly on people of color, what we've seen with George Floyd, like the idea that people are going to turn around and excuse like mob violence after all this whipping <laughs> up of this frenzy about it, you know, in the same moment, in the same program, they'll be like, Hey, check out this smash and grab operation that happened that took a bunch of purses. Oh. And also like, it wasn't that big a deal when they like, you know, dragged a cop down the stairs and, 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 and threatened his life. But so there's that aspect of it, which is like, the idea that there's no actual standard for behavior that like if you're on our side it's fine and if you're on the other side it's not, which I think is like a, an incredibly Trumpian notion. Um, and I think it's a conservative notion before that. And I think, you know, liberals can fall prey to it too, but it's on such display potently here. So there's the sort of excuses and minimization, then there's the just like crazy disinformation of like it was the feds or it was antifa, like trying to come up with these mm increasingly ludicrous and far-fetched notions to essentially be exculpatory for what people actually did. And then the third aspect of it, I think that's really important, is people want to say, oh, well, that, you know, there's, some people will say, well, what they did, you know, obviously violence is wrong, what they did at the Capitol is wrong, but like the 150, whatever, 50 members of Congress to Republicans, the eight or nine members of the Senate that voted against seating the electoral votes, like the entire project, was insidious. The entire project was authoritarian. The entire project whether they were like at the ellipse and they were doing it peacefully or it was just Josh Hawley like before they casting a vote. the building. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like the, the, the like that is the culmination and that is, itself is in a sort of special place. But the whole project was to overturn a democratic election <laughs> and install an authoritarian leader over the will of the people by whatever means. Whether that means was Mike Pence ruling in a certain way, whether the means was, you know, using loopholes in the electoral count act to get state congreg- uh delegations together to deliver the vote like whatever it was the whole project was rotten to the core and you can't just say well yes what they did at the capitol was wrong the whole project was wrong but it, my, my thing though
0: in a weird way clepper like i understand politicians flip-flopping because they have a check behind the things that they say they have a real motivation. The voters, on the other hand, who decide to go and be a part of this, in spite of all of the, because people love to say they love to say, "Well, I'm doing my research." Well, if you'd done a little bit more research, your stupid ass wouldn't be out here. On well, January the voters 6th. don't have a
1: check, uh, and they're probably not going to get one, but uh, they do have an identity, and I think that's the thing that I see people clinging to. Yeah. The, the thing that surprised me most when I went to uh, a Trump event in Iowa a few months back and we brought up January 6th. Like there isn't, there was no coherent um, narrative as to what had happened on January 6th. Uh, And some people Yes, what what happened was wrong, and it was wrong because Antifa were instigators, it was wrong because FBI, CIA, NASA, any any organization you want to throw out there. Some people said it wasn't wrong, NASA like did? that uh uh Ashley Babbitt was as a is a hero and there should have been right. more uh a- Ashleys out there. Some people declare it was nothing happened on the 6th. And 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 to me again, that that, that all has to do with More often than not, when I would go out in the field and talk to folks, uh, you don't need a coherent philosophy behind what happened or even a coherent narrative. You just need a foothold to get you to the the next thing. And at that point, it was like, oh... You know, so much misinformation and BS has been spewed since that, that like, yeah, you can you can read something about the FBI, Antifa, you can believe it didn't happen, or you can believe it did happen and should have happened. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't all have to fit. It just has to get you on to the next thing. And I, I, I for one, though, was surprised how quickly that information and that those disjuncted narratives uh, uh, came about. Thanks to online bullshit, they have a very interesting take on who was behind the January 6th insurrection.
2: Oh, Antifa, um, like the corrupt FBI, um, basically rhinos, corrupt politicians, the deep state, all of that. I don't believe it was people like me and people like you see over there in that crowd that did it. Who, Who was behind? FBI, CIA, Antifa were used. Other, other groups like that.
1: It seemed like a lot of them were going into the Capitol to attack Nancy Pelosi and perhaps Who? hang- Who?
2: Who? Who? Which one? The one with the bull horns? He's not a Trump supporter. I don't care what his resume says, he's not a Trump supporter. In fact, do you remember the picture of the plane in Afghanistan with all the people running next to it? That was a balloon plane. If you look at the pictures of the real plane, there's pieces that are missing from the real plane to that plane. So
1: you're saying there's a conspiracy around the Afghanistan withdrawal?
2: No, I'm saying that there was one guy there who ran. It's the only guy who turned to the camera and waved his hands. Do y'all remember that? Everybody remember that? He's the guy with the horns on his hat.
1: He was in Afghanistan.
2: Yes, go look at the pictures.
1: I think he's in jail right now.
0: Did you go for the the, the JFK Jr. dead body return from the death port? Oh no, are you kidding? <sighs> I got trust me. Thriller. I'm using my
1: frequent flyer miles, so that one's that one's on the list. Every <laughs> I get more I get more get tweets about that. Even- <laughs> Uh, of like, are you coming to this? Are you coming? It's almost like a relative now. People are like, you got to go down to <laughs> Dallas. You know, oh, your, your your homies are hanging out down by down on the grassy. No,
3: are you gonna go see them? They're 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 waiting for you. I do think there's a little bit of a distinction because like that, that is like the hardest of the hardcore. Like that is like that is genuine mass delusion in a, in yes. a really acute sense. I think mm-hmm. that what's on display more broadly among the sort of grassroots right is also a form of mass delusion, but a little more. Grounded a little more complex and a little more like grounded in familiar things. Like it's funny what you're just saying, Jordan, there, because I, I I've had this experience too. It's the mode of operating that you operate in if you're in the heat of like a bad fight with a person that you love or like a or or an argument with someone, like whether it's a you know a sibling or a friend or a spouse where like you're just churning through justification. <laughs> like you're just trying like you're not mm. you're just like, I won't concede. I'm not going to give in to you in this moment. I, it's like it's all will. You're not mm-hmm. like, you're not conversing. You're not like examining the evidence. I mean, I'm saying this is when, in like, you're in a bad, bad mode of sort of. It's, it's all.
1: It's all the toilet seat has been left up. Like, okay, yeah. but is that is that is that all you have right now? You're like is in this, this moment. Is this a relationship podcast have. or are we talking <laughs> politics? I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> no, but I just think I just
3: think there's like a there's a collective <laughs> defensiveness, which is like you've put me on the spot, and I'm not going to concede to you putting me on the spot, and whatever it takes to 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 diffuse that. To Ashley Babbitts here. Like whatever I have to say to sort yeah. of when you are talk about like getting to that next foothold, it's like debate. It, it's exactly. It's like I don't want to concede because then I'm 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 giving away some power to you, and I feel already oppressed by you. Mm-hmm. And that I think is is the kind of operational mode of a lot of people in the kind of like MAGA core. Where it really isn't coherent. Like, I mean, my one of my favorite stories is, is like, and I'm sure I've, maybe you guys have seen this, but it was a it was like a few days after the the insurrection where there was like a guy who was in it who had to go on his Facebook page to be like, I see all these people blaming Antifa. It, I'm telling you, I was there. Don't it wasn't Antifa. We did it. The Patriots. Like, he's pissed off that Antifa's getting the credit for what he did, and has to go into these like crazy disinformation networks that he is embedded in to be like, y'all, hey, I was there. We did it. it. Stop giving them credit for what these patriots did. And it was just a perfect, to me, encapsulation of like, they're really, your point, to get back to your point, Jordan, there is no actual coherent story about January 6th on the right. There's a bunch of different stories that are thrown out to move on to the next topic, distract or mass exculpate the folks involved so that you can get back to the real thing, which is that the libs are oppressing you in whatever way.
0: And that's what I want to get to after the break, because I'm just, I'm curious about the MSNBC, Chris Hayes news curation process, because we're always stuck at the daily show with, do we follow the crazy thing that just happened that's being Mm -hmm. reconstituted as something different? Or do we follow the new crazy thing that Mm -hmm. is happening or is about to happen? And I'm very curious how you decide which ones to bring to light uh, on your show. This is Beyond the Scenes. We'll be right back.
1: And in doing that, is that how you achieve an Emmy? I guess is the other question. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that's,
3: well, that's You have to sign up for the masterclass for that. That's like a- I knew
1: Everybody's doing (laughs) masterclass
0: now. How are we doing this? Jordan Klepper, Chris Hayes. Are we saying happy Jan six? Are we saying J (gasps) six? Do we say never forget? Do we
1: say always forget? Yeah, I think it's just important to keep saying the date because I think five years from now, there's a legitimate chance we go from January 5th to January 7th on the Gregorian calendar. And so <laughs> whatever you do, just make sure you repeat the date so people understand that it is a moment in time. Like can we, we just agree, a moment in time.
3: That day never existed. It just didn't happen.
1: <laughs> we uh, Can you believe it? We remember the Alamo. Do you know what happened at the Alamo? Yeah. It was a terrible loss. It was yeah. poorly loss. planned. Davy Crockett went down. The guy who created the Bowie knife uh, went down. Like that's a that's a terrible story. We should forget that story. Poor planning on America's part. Yep, we remember that. January sixth. We could take a lot of lessons from that and we are we are we are trashing it as quick as we can. I'll
0: be honest, as a black person, I am closely monitoring January sixth to make sure that it doesn't bleed over into Martin Luther King mm. weekend. Yeah. It's a little close. Dangerous. Could turn into a week long celebration. <laughs> Once it's a week long, then it's a whole month, and then you got MLK in the middle of resurrection this and, month or whatever the hell yeah, they're going Patriot gonna call it. month.
3: Patriot month. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Chris, on your program on MSNBC, we just spoke about the misinformation and what motivates it. How and what do you decide to report on on your show? Number one, if just on some just straight up mental health shit. How do you stay calm just in the morning when you're just reading the headlines? How do you remain calm and measured as you deliver news that people are going to Dallas to see the dead body come out of the ground? I mean, is is it impossible to
1: go and stay calm, Chris, because we know you're going to go all in like you have to. That's just, I, that's the brand. you got to go all in. And so I, in the morning, are you like, should I just go half of the way in and stay calm? <laughs> or no, this is what the people want. Like, Melbourne, he can unlike, go halfway in.
3: I, but hey, I am not, I am generally, uh, well, I don't think I'm that calm, honestly. I mean, I think that I, what I try to do is, I definitely think that I've spent a lot more time telling myself the serenity prayer about, like, things I can control and things I can't, the wisdom to know the difference, Um which is a big part of it. Like, I I think that there are times where because I do have a platform that I'm very privileged to have, it feels like that I have more causal, like there were definitely times during COVID where I felt like it was my job to like save the country from the mass death of COVID. And that's,
0: that's fair. Yeah.
3: I mean, but, and, but I fail. I mean, I I, didn't, I didn't work. I mean, I, you know, we, 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 I think, and, and right now I think I feel that way about like American democracy, the way that I felt, I think, last year around COVID, even though, of course, we're still in the pandemic. Um, But American democracy seems to me like, I feel in a similar way of just, like, ringing this alarm bell. That's the thing that I have. I have the bullhorn. I have the alarm bell. I have the platform. We've been very focused on this story, generally the story of, American democracy in peril in in a peril that it never has really faced in this particular way. it's faced peril in many different ways and wasn't really actually a democracy for the for, you know the mass, vast majority of the of the country's existence so it's not like there's some like beautiful halcyon days to look back on, but what happened? I mean this is the thing that we focus on, and we focus a lot on January sixth specifically but but m- more broadly like the fate of American democracy is that it's hard. I think in the same way that I think the first days and the first weeks and months of the pandemic were hard, it is hard to get your heads or head around the scope and enormity of what you're dealing with. But like if they had pulled it off, it really would have been the case that the fundamental precept that undergirds this whole thing, which is that the people choose their leaders, not the other way around. And that a majority of people, is what stands in for the whole when you're dealing with democratic elections to cast that out um you know really would have been an enormous epochal break with what we've had before and that still that threat still looms over us can, can i ask a question chris like you talk
1: about the <laughs> the the insurrection was something that had been happening the week beforehand and was happening behind closed doors uh are you at all afraid that in the discussion of this and how uh perhaps the media frames it and also just the the mindset of those who digest it we're gonna go down this rabbit hole and it's all gonna be about whether or not donald trump gave the go-ahead to you go straight ahead
3: yeah i that's a great point it's something i'm really trying hard to avoid because i think we saw that in some ways with what happened with the the russia story which was like Oh, we got him. We're going to get him. Yeah, and, and also, Meanwhile, like, while. Right. And it's but it's also like, take a step back. It's like they the Russians wanted Donald Trump to be president and sought to aid his campaign. The campaign privately and publicly welcomed their help. <laughs> like, and then they committed a variety of very serious crimes to sabotage his opponent. Those three things we knew from the jump. Like, so and then. You know, and understandably, got into the. Then it was like, well, they didn't find this smoking gun where he, you know, called up Vladimir Putin and said hack Hillary, whatever. It's like, well, he said it on he said it on camera. I mean, he said, "We're going to go down to the Capitol now." He literally literally instructed the crowd. We're going to walk down to the Capitol, and we're going to cheer on our brave senators and. Congressmen and women, and we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. It was like he, he grabbed them and he bowled them, you know, down Pennsylvania Avenue. So I agree that it's important to keep what is publicly known is unbelievably damning would disqualify him from ever holding any position of public trust ever and i think there's a plausible criminal case to be made against him under federal law he certainly should have been impeached he certainly should have been disqualified from ever holding public office no if we learn nothing new starting now and i think your your point is well taken and something that we really try on the show to avoid which is we're constantly resetting what are the publicly known facts and what they say about the danger of this individual and the movement that he leads and the threat it poses to American democracy, whether or not we find out even more damning details, which I, su- I suspect we will.
0: Chris, on your show, Trump loyalists and insurrectionists, you generally, for the most part, don't swim in those waters of talking to those types of people. Is that in an effort to keep the misinformation to a minimum and not allow people to use your show as a vessel? For misinformation, like what walk me through the strategy in that.
3: Yeah, I mean we actually had two of them the other night and it was sort of interesting. We had these two folks that were the people that planned the ellipse rally and are now cooperating with the January 6th committee. Um, <laughs> mostly because like they feel thrown under the bus by Trump, not I think for any noble reason above that. Um but look, the problem is and I, I learned this I, I come back to this example all the time and I think my staff is probably tired of hearing about it, but it's very formative for me, like if you were in the left in 2002 or 2003 and you were in spaces, you were going to anti-war protests or you were going to events, you were writing for lefty magazines, you were encountering 9-11 truthers a lot, a lot. Yeah, They were everywhere. They would get up and ask the first question at every event. and they, And one of the things I quickly learned was like, you couldn't get into a debate or win a debate with them because like, there was no, like, they were like, well, what about this angle of this shadow of this, if you look at this lamppost by the Pentagon, it couldn't have been clipped by this wing and this engine, but, and all of a sudden you're just in this melting world.
0: point of steel that was made yes. in that
3: year in the construction. And you can't, it's the same thing with, like, I think people that adhere to the big lie, you know, it's like, you can't really engage <laughs> on those terms and get anything useful. The other thing for me, and this is different for, than for Jordan, is like, we have a live show and we have these time limits, and so <laughs> controlling and wrangling. <laughs> well, no, it, it makes a big difference. Like you are lying. That's if so I funny. could go and talk to people and then take all that footage and figure out what we're going to do with it, but I'm there on live TV, and not only that, there's a responsibility of that, which is that everything they're saying is going out to Others 1.5 like million them. people, and I'm in some ways responsible for that. Right? So, like, <laughs> so it's just a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a real heavy burden you carry when you put someone on the air about what is going to be communicated to your audience. So then Jordan, how do you how do you balance that? Because you you do basically
0: the opposite. The exact, I'm like, I'm yeah, you do the, the opposite. Me, you know? Know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk. I've got on my nice warm jacket. Let's stand out here outside forever and ever and talk to these people. Like, what, what are you thinking when you go out? What is your objective? Because it clearly can't be to change their minds.
1: Well, I mean, I think Chris brings up a great point, is the difference between live TV and something you bring back and you edit, because it is true. We, we, there There is stuff that is in the edit that is that is hateful or misinformation that we feel we don't add context to in our responses, and that is something we feel resp- uh, responsibility towards if we put that out. So there's there's control in an edit, and we, we take that all into account. I think, you know, we, we go to these events because, one, we, we want to know what are people actually talking about on the ground, what is getting through specifically for Trump rallies, what is getting through from, uh, from on stage and what we hear in New York to the actual people out there. And, and what are we missing uh, when we watch the news? Because, you know, these, these news hosts, they think they're so smart. They think they got their big Emmy award-winning shows. But mm-hmm. until they get out there, mm-hmm. they, they don't know what it's really like. That's right. <laughs> but, our, I mean, our objective is we, we go out with questions. Uh, what, what has seeped in? Where are people? What are they thinking? Uh, and we just go and we start to respond to that.
3: Can I ask you a question? Yeah, do do they recognize you? Do they know who you are?
1: It varies. I think uh, uh, it, it it's Ooh. growing, uh, but there's there's still I, I will say uh, there's still a giant bubble. So more often than not, I go to a rally, and most people don't. They're immediately skeptical because there's a camera, and so you're you're a bad guy because you're a camera. But you're also, right? Interesting so they know they, they know
3: they're making you as a member of the media um and that is enough in some ways to put them in a sort of somewhat skeptical place but not specifically like this is his shtick he does this he he you know is going to try to trap
1: exactly they already have their opinion about the media it's either something that stay away these are the bad guys or these are the bad guys i'm going to win with them and whether or not i'm on trevor's show or not usually doesn't come into effect although then there is a person who's like i've seen this guy's videos right and we're at a uh We were at an event, uh, a school board meeting, and a guy charged me because he was like, That's that guy. We have to have security come in and stop this guy, and there's an altercation there. So, like, Oh, that's not fun. I think it also, they don't like to be made fun of. What I, I, not January 6th, but two weeks beforehand, the Million Maga March, uh, which was a beautiful march. uh, Their number, not a million. But, uh, (laughs) But what people don't often understand there is there's probably 30,000 people there, but these are also poorly run events go figure, which means there's two stages that are essentially a mile apart with 30,000 people in between and the sound systems they paid for. Can only, you can only about 200 people can hear what's actually going on. So you have essentially 29,000 people who are milling about. And when you're interviewing right. people <laughs> and, and perhaps the people are getting upset or somebody's like, I think I know that guy. Well, then the two people who are watching become 10, become 50, and it becomes dangerous there. So even if you're not immediately recognized, we, we have to be savvy because there is, a, there is a mob mentality when you have a camera up.
3: Yeah, there's always something I find. Like unnatural and and can sometimes be kind of foreboding about the the role a camera plays in a crowd mm-hmm. and what and what it does to help people behave around it, independent of people's politics or you know ideological commitments. Just generally, I've I've had that experience.
1: Well, and also it's they're dressing for it now. It, you know the, the we we make a lot of jokes about the the apparel at a MAGA rally, and what has become so fascinating is people are going there to dress for being on camera for being recognized right. by. Uh, Donald Trump or other folks it's you know so like they suddenly walk down an aisle which is essentially a dressing room and costume department they pick out the the most uh, <laughs> the most extreme points of view that are you could fit onto a t-shirt uh, they put them on and what we started noticing too and then they're starting then, then they have to answer questions about the view that they just put on their chest which right. some of them have that view some of them have just adopted that view and now this camera is starting to craft a narrative around that person who has this thing on their chest that they speak for, <laughs> that maybe they just wanted that attention, but they're already now uh, creating this narrative, which is which is, is only grown in the last two years.
0: Chris, there is definitely a lot of disagreeing on whether or not facts are factual. Therefore, journalism, when you report the facts, which is your job as a journalist, could be seen as an opinion. What say you to people who believe that people of your ilk, and I'm talking just primetime news in general, are based in opinionated journalism and not factual journalism, is there a way to unblur the lines where at least, even if we don't agree on the solution, can we at least agree on what the facts are? Or it's just, if you're an opinionated journalist, and if that's what I am to you, that's just what it's got to be.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, that's a, it's such a deep question. It's hard to talk through it because I've spent probably 20 years thinking about various versions of this all the way back to being a philosophy major in undergrad and thinking about epistemology and how people form true beliefs. I mean, the way that I think about what I do is that I have a point of view and a perspective and a set of values that I have that I'm pretty transparent about. I really believe in democracy. I believe in equality, uh, solidarity, rights and protections, the flourishing of people's lives. Um and i approach the news with those with those views i'm i'm on the left for sure um people know that and that perspective colors what i talk about and what i you know what i don't talk about and you know what i choose to to spotlight we're really rigorous that we put things that are true on our show but the thing is that like truth is only i mean there's there's a bunch of different categories right so like you can communicate untruthful stuff or false and malicious stuff without ever telling a single factual lie, you know, then there's people who just lie, right? So like, oh, the, the, an Italian satellite hacked the voting machines to change votes. It's just like (laughs) a lie. It's just like not a true statement. And it's a preposterously not that, but then, you know, there's a period where, where Tucker Carlson was going around doing this thing where he was taking this open source, Vaccine reporting system where people could anyone could report an adverse event after a vaccine and saying look, um, twelve hundred people died after they got their vaccine. Now, or whatever the number was. Now that's it was true. I mean, like you know, when you give two hundred million people shots, <laughs> like some yeah. set of people are going to you know get hit by a bus, March fall ill, they're they're hit, they have cancer and the chemo, like whatever it is. So you're not saying a lie, right? Like it is factually accurate that, that a certain number of people died after they got their vaccine shot. When you go on air and you say it in that terms, you are implying a causal link there that says these vaccines are scary. They're killing, killing people and not telling you about it. And so like that line between like, what's fact, what's opinion, what's perspective. It, it is actually pretty complicated, you know, because like you can say a lot of true things. It's like, here, here's here's my favorite example, like racist websites. OK, like like really like the Like if you go to like the world of like Stormfront and and by the way, which is like very adjacent to like a lot of Donald Trump stuff. And there are periods during different campaigns when Donald Trump would like tweet these out like you could run a website that only identifies examples of black men assaulting white people. In a country Mm -hmm. of 350 million and just make that all you show. And it could be the case that like, it is factually true that in each of those instances or each of the videos, what you are doing is running a white supremacist website, right? And you're running a white supremacist website without ever like telling a lie in some sort of like sense of like, these are facts. I'm just showing you the facts of all the, but that's, that's like Nazi propaganda essentially, which. By the way, they used to actually like run examples of Jews committing crimes. So it's like this question of what is, what is fact, what is opinion? It's like the world contains so many facts (laughs) that in some ways, what's more insidious than lies and lies are insidious. We see with a big lie is which facts you choose to emphasize, which facts you choose to focus on and so much destruction and so much, um, ruin can happen, Based on which facts people choose to use their platforms for. Amy Winner.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. Oh I'm glad goodness. you took after that. that I, I could feel that Emmy nomination just like, cracking inside of me. I'm like, uh, yeah, right. after the break, I want to I want to talk
0: to you all about where we're headed i don't know if this is going to be a new holiday i don't know if our kids are going to start getting jan 6 out of school for their own safety i don't know but i am curious about where we go from here and the role that the media plays in this this is beyond the scenes we'll be right back chris what would you say is the big was the biggest failure in reporting as it relates to january 6. let's critique our media co-workers here
3: i would say that one thing that happened and i think that i actually think it's been i think the reporting in the wake of it's been quite good i think one misapprehension people had when watching it was that it was kind of goofy and i think that was because of what the cameras were showing as opposed to what they weren't showing so because you have cameras in the galleries you know what you saw was like the the q shaman comes in and he sits on the chair and it all seems like stunty and weird and they're all like recording themselves. And it's only later when you start to get the footage of like the cop who's being, you know, pressed in the door and, and Michael Fanone being dragged through and the body cam footage and the assaults and like, um, and then the, you know, Ashley Babbitt attempting to vault through that broken window and the gunshot that, that, that killed her. So I think there was a little bit of a misapprehension in the beginning. I think it's probably stuck with some people. And in fact, some people, I think Tucker Carlson's one example have tried to like keep that Going like oh isn't this a goofy funny like it's ridiculous to be scared of these people what are you talking about Mm -hmm. so i think that's a misapprehension that was pretty prominent at the beginning but i think has been i think has been turned around i mean i think most americans think what happened there was completely messed up like i don't think it's a i don't think the problem with january 6 is that people don't get that it was bad um or you know I just think that there's the, the the bigger problem is this, that fundamentally the Republican Party as an institution is radicalized against democracy, and that they have that that there has been a slow, the institutions of the country have been slow to recognize that, and they have faced no political price for it among voters. You've gone on record in,
0: in saying that this should have been one of the craziest. Events in the last fifty years of history. Klepper, why do we care more about Kim Kardashian dating Pete Davidson?
1: What? What? I mean, what's the attraction? We, well, I just, I she wore remember. the Yeezys.
3: <laughs> she wore the Yeezys when <laughs> they the went out the... on the date. Come on, that's <laughs> <laughs> wore
0: your husband's Yeezys to go out with the new guy.
1: <laughs> there's so many articles day in and day out of why why don't we see more outrage towards this thing or this thing? I do think there's. There's an overrepresentation as to uh, how many people are actually actually give a shit about democracy. And not in the sense of like, oh yeah, it's important, it's important, I'll say that uh, to an interview or what have you. But like, uh, our interest in the political ramifications of what happens day in and day out. Mo- most people I talked to there on January 6th, again, it's are, are there for the show and are there for the identity. And I don't think would even articulate seeing government as something that needs to play a role in helping them and or helping society. In fact, they've been outside of the whole political world for years, and it wasn't until this new character came in who welcomed them in that they felt they could be a part of it. Uh, but again, it became about winning above uh, restoring democracy, creating a working government that could uh, benefit uh, people who are in need, protecting people, things of that nature. Like That actually was never an interest to a lot of the people we talked about. It really was just simply about the... The, gamific- the gamification of, uh, the, not only the election, but then what happened after that. And so, so when you're like, why, why, why are Americans more interested in this and not focused on how democracy is crumbling? Cause we were never interested in democracy as an idea. We were interested at in democracy as a, um, a, a bullet to put in a gun that we could shoot to win the contest of, uh, my team beat your team and, and 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 that's where i'm just like oh i don't think americans are that into politics uh politics is something to um uh, uh uh to utilize government so that its role can can help you uh ultimately uh, they're right. into or like, games
3: or like civic work you know i mean i yeah. think that's that you know it, it does um it, it is very identity-based and I, and I also think look the, the attentional imperatives here to your point like are hard in a, lo- a million different directions. I mean, people getting people's attention about anything is hard. I mean, <laughs> it's like you know, we've never had more um there's never been more things tugging on our attention. There's never been things that we needed more focused attention on more. Um and here I'm thinking of the the the, the climate challenge which is like quite literally the the largest challenge that Humans have faced since we started civilization. Well, to 50, maybe if
0: Mother Nature bought some Instagram ads and was an influencer? Right, the right people exactly. No more, but continue. Sorry, didn't mean.
3: To that. Those attentional questions are really hard ones. Are ones I struggle with too, um, and uh, I don't know the answer to them. But you know, there are a lot of people that are paying a lot of very close attention. Um, there are a lot of people who understand what um, how serious things are. Um, and I think, you know, in some ways, I think that there, there's an argument made that you've never had more discussions about democracy itself as a sort of topic of conversation in my political life, you know, uh, the, where the issue about, like, are we going to maintain democracy? Are we going to strengthen democracy is like an actual topic of conversation that wasn't really the case, I think, like 10 or 12 or 15 years ago.
0: What could we expect when it comes to the future of democracy being attacked. Because the thing that I find that's interesting now is that a lot of the people that stirred the pot in 2016 have been deplatformed. So a lot of the ways that these types of people can find each other and the hornet's nest can be stirred up is not the same. Trump is not on television as much. A lot of his cronies are not on television as much. So could they still mobilize like this again?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I don't know what the future holds. I know that Republicans have worked very hard to put people in positions to do and pull off what they were not able to do and pull off last time. You have the Secretary of State being primary in Georgia. You've got the Secretary of State election in Arizona with sort of like avowed adherence to the big lie, pro-coup forces. You've got a pro-coup primary challenge of the governor of Georgia, right? All these people essentially, whether saying it implicitly or in some cases explicitly, saying like, I will do what was not done before, which is deliver power into the hands of the candidate who lost because I don't recognize the legitimacy <laughs> of the majority because they're not my people, right? So I really worry about that. And look, at one level, like there's technical problems here about the way that the law works and who's administering elections, but there's sort of a deeper problem. Like I think about this old Yogi Berra line where he says, uh, you know, they should move first base closer to home, so there aren't so many close plays at first, which is like, you can't, like, there's no, like, there's going to be close plays at first wherever you put the base, right? It's like, if you have one of two major American coalitions mobilized against democracy with the belief that the other side is illegitimate by definition and cannot legitimately win, whatever happens technically around election law, like, matters... But ultimately, like the threat is that. That's the deep threat. And that threat is there and growing. And so I don't know what it looks like, how it plays out, but look, elections end when the loser acknowledges they're over.
2: Like as a, funct- <laughs> as a, as
3: a functional matter, that's the definition of the end of an election. And that can't be if there's a side that will never acknowledge that, then that we're in totally different territory. So it sounds like
0: we're fucked, Jordan. I think that's what he's trying I to say I, very But if cooler heads
1: can prevail, then it's going to be all right. And there's a lot of cooler heads out there. You,
3: know? <laughs> you talk to them all the time. I so, yeah. yeah, let me
1: send you some links. Uh, it'll put a
3: lot of faith in uh, humanity and our democracy. There are cooler heads out there. There are people who did the right thing last time, and I think there's a lot of people in America who have a deep, a deep patriotism and civic... Um, a sense of solemn civic duty who did the right thing the last time around. And I hope they're there the next time.
0: And I also hope that those people are having lots of sex and making more people just like them so that my child <laughs> has a decent world. And that's how we're going to end this segment. You
1: uh, end most podcasts like that. I feel like yeah. I've, I've heard you, you really go to that well, a lot, Roy. Just yeah, you're, you're that, really I mean, wishing that's, sex that's, that's upon people. That's go-to.
0: I'm just wishing blessings upon people. So um, with that, Jordan Klepper and Chris Hayes of MSNBC, all in with Chris Hayes every night on MSNBC. The podcast is Why Is This Happening with Chris Hayes. One is an Emmy winner, one is an Emmy nominee, soon to be Emmy winner with all the hard work that he is doing out there in the streets. Uh, I wish you all a happy, I do you think we're gonna have retail sales around the resurrection? At some I'd point?
1: take that. That would be fine. I would. I would take uh, just maybe. Uh, yeah. I, I wish
0: you a happy resurrection. Insurrection. Insurrection.
1: You mean? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about Christmas.
0: No,
3: that's Easter. Oh. Yeah.
0: Okay. I'm a Christian. You're I, very I think I've had enough. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jess, for going beyond the scenes. Hey, Beyond the Scenes listeners, if you haven't rated and reviewed us yet on Apple Podcasts, I need you to stop right now and do that. Drop us a rating, let us know how you feel and write a review. Write a review too. Cause I read those to my child at the end of the night because I keep, I'm i out of books. Gotta go buy them new books.